Hello, everybody. Welcome to Two Guys Five Movies. This is one of your co-hosts, Chris Gasperi. This is Frank Pelican. And tonight we are bringing to you a bonus episode um, that is going to focus on a first watch, uh, at least for Frank, for the first time ever, of uh, 2001's musical, Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Um, I'm going to assume that people that would listen to this episode, um, so this is going to kind of be a deep dive, right? Like, you know, we're going to like spend like the entire episode just talking about this movie. We did something similar this last year um, with Eyes Wide Shut. Uh, so what I guess the tradition is for these bonus episodes uh, uh, is that I make wa- Frank watch something that either um, he doesn't want doesn't want to watch or he might not want to watch um, is starting to become the pattern. Um, so I guess the bonus is for me um, more than anything. Um, it was so, a bonus for all of us in the end. Yeah. So last year I asked him to reevaluate Eyes Wide Shut. Um, I also had not watched it in clo- in 20 years. I had only seen it once. Um, and I think you had too, right? You only yeah, watched it one time. time. Um, but I always felt like there was something that was something more was going on there and I wanted to rewatch it again. And Frank was pretty much always like, I'll fuck that movie. Um, <laughs> so he agreed to rewatch it. And then we discussed it for an hour in episode 57 last year. Um, tonight I'm asking, I, I've been, I've had this in mind since that time, I think, um, when I was thinking about what the bonus episode could be uh, this year. Um, I had in the back of my mind having Frank watch this because uh, I know that he's heard um, songs from this um, because I have drunkenly played these songs uh, when we've come back from the bar and stuff like that before. Um, and I know he's heard some of them, um, and I'm sure he's heard them outside of that. I was convinced you had seen this movie like for a long time. I thought that we had watched it over at Chuck's house. Um, and you tell me that we hadn't. And I was like pretty like taken aback by the fact that you'd never seen it. So that's like where we're at now, like in terms of like why um, it's this movie particularly. Uh, if you're listening to this, I'm assuming that you probably would only want to listen to this if you probably know this movie or seen it. But if not, um, just a little bit about what this movie is. It kind of is split between the present and the past um, where you're following around Hedvig, who is the lead musician of a group called Hedvig and the Angry Inch, um, uh, a, a rock um, you know, group um who covers like uh songs from a number of different periods they are following around doing uh playing dive bars and diners um they're uh matching up their tour with a bigger more famous rock musician called tommy gnosis um and you slowly come to find out hedvig's backstory um which is that uh hedvig is originally from east berlin um and uh uh, grows up uh, with a single mother listening to the rock from the West, um, becomes fascinated with rock music and wants to escape um, the, um, the, the, the Soviet influence like socialism of East Germany and wants to go to the West and eventually finds a way of doing that by marrying an American GI, um, except for the only way that they can get married um, is for it to be a man and a woman. So Hedvig has an operation um, to basically have himself castrated, uh, which is botched. um, And that is where the angry inch comes from in the, um, you know, uh, band's name and the song uh, of the same name. Um, It works. He um, goes over to America. He's soon abandoned by the husband um, in a trailer park. And he takes on a, um, um, his real name is Hansel. He ends up taking on a slightly more uh, flamboyant and um, you know feminine persona. Hedvig starts performing, writing, and performing music in the area. Um, you know, working um, odd jobs like at a supermarket and um, babysitting. Meets um, uh, let's see, Tommy Speck, um, who is a young Christian kid that is the older brother of one of the kids that uh, she's babysitting. Um, they form a connection. Um, she thinks that, um, you know, Tommy might be her other half, like her soulmate. Um, and eventually, though, once he finds out about her angry inch, um, he ends up uh, leaving the 
budding relationship, stealing all of her music on along the way and becomes this rock star, Tommy Gnosis, who she's now following um, across the country in the present day. And then the story kind of plays out in the last 20 minutes from there in terms of the present day. And I won't spoil that um, necessarily. Um, because it's probably part of what we'll end up talking about, I guess, a little bit, um, is like how that kind of plays out. Um, is that fairly accurate without putting too much bias into it, Frankie? Because like? oh, I, yeah, I, I don't do this that often. <laughs> that's it. Okay. Um, all right. So I'm going to turn it over to you, Frank, because um, I, the reason I'm having you watch this, one of the, one of the many reasons is... Um, I absolutely love this musical. Um, I, uh, it's, it's, it's one of my favorites probably. Um, but I, I've always met when I found out you hadn't seen it. Um, I, I've always wanted to know what you thought, because my guess is that you would think it was, well, I'm, I'm not going to do that, but I, I always thought you'd be uncomfortable by it. Um, mm. to some degree, um, by, by certain things, but I'm really fascinated to hear what you have to say about this movie. So, nothing in the movie made me necessarily uncomfortable. Um, I was trying to think, like, how would I describe this movie? And what I came up with was, um, it's a musical that's the Coen Brothers by way of Troma Productions, basically. So, it's got, like, a lot of the idiosyncrasies and, like, I don't know, preciousness that, like, early Coen Brothers movies have. Like, kind of reminded me of um, maybe, like, Raising Arizona, sort of, or Barton Fink, just in the way it was shot. Hmm. But it has a very tawdry and cheap, like, production value to it. Mm -hmm. So it also reminded me of really low-budget stuff from the 80s, just in terms of um, set design and, I don't know, costuming and lighting and stuff, um, which I found really... Uh, unappealing for probably the first like 30 minutes of the movie. I also absolutely hated the first two songs in this thing. Mm -hmm. Like the origin of love and whatever the first one are is maybe there's three, but I didn't, I didn't like, I, I seriously have no idea. Yeah. There's tear, tear me down origin of love. And then it goes to sugar daddy don't like that song either so the angry inch song right the, that's the fourth one yeah six inches forward five inches back i got an angry inch that's the first time where i was like like when he's kind of like going crazy playing in this, um bilgington's right is that what the chain is called that they get hired to play it something like that yeah it's like some fake like um I don't know, like Bennigan's style mm -hmm. seafood themed restaurant. Build, I think it's building things, um, which I thought was actually pretty clever. Um, so when when they're playing the show, where like he's basically, you've only found you found out a lot of Hedvig's backstory as Hansel at this point, and like um, his kind of the themes of like abandonment that have happened in his life, both with like, I guess the implication that his father was molesting him. Yes. Yes. And then another American GI, yeah, right. There's the mother kind of pushed him off on this Lothario GI who's bisexual, I suppose, or at least like pansexual in the sense that he doesn't care like what he's having sex with. Yeah. Um, which is why he goes from just being like probably you know like a gay young man into being like transforming himself into a woman for this right. this man mm -hmm. um not not so much as out of love as out of just the desire to escape and when it gets to the point where it's kind of revealing that he's sort of sitting there watching the berlin wall come down mm -hmm. and realizing that the things that he's done weren't things that he had to do to get away like he could have been fine yeah. just accept himself and stay there but is still like kind of I think that um uh, what is his name I think that uh John Cameron Mitchell does a really good job of building a sense of like internal pathos and confusion and 
shame almost that like he turns into anger at the outside world mm-hmm. <laughs> at what he feels is like rejection from people but in a lot of ways it's him rejecting himself and then just his own like self-reclamations of the decisions he's made and that's kind of where the movie turned the corner to me so really about that scene where he's talking about being in the trailer <laughs> which is after the angry inch song right that's um, and box, then yeah what leads into my favorite song of the whole musical, which honestly I think like is a tremendously fantastically crafted song, which is the, I put on some makeup. Yeah. Wake in a box. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That song is amazing. And that's the point where like, I really was interested in the movie. And I even feel in terms of the way it's directed, like it turns more into a, a more classic narrative at that point, because almost everything is taking place in the present. Right. As opposed to these weird, like, disjointed flashbacks, which I also didn't like about the beginning of the movie. Um, yeah. It's, and yeah then at it that also, point, well, because that's the point Tommy knows us, or Tommy Speck kind of comes into it, too. And now you have the narrative of just her right. and Tommy, which, yeah. And it, it builds what I think is a really, like, it's a really good examination of just like, and we talk about this a lot in the podcast because this is something that's super interesting to me in movies, which is the idea of, self-worth and the way a person esteems themselves and how like the public's perception of that can like change a person's internal you know um i don't know like internal perception or whatever not not to use the same word like over and over um but i think that's interesting like i like that idea of the psychological impact of like you know society on a person and i think that once it gets to the point where it turns Hedvig from being a caricature, which is what I feel like that that character is for the first like 40 minutes of the movie into an actual relatable human character. Like, I think the movie is brilliant for the last like half of it. So it really, it's, it's really disjointed for me because I hated it for a long time. And then I was sitting there watching it and I was like, man, I'm actually really enjoying this movie until like finishing it. I, I really liked it, like the end of it. Mm-hmm. Like I was actually super invested. I was really, I thought the ending was very hopeful and heartwarming almost. Mm-hmm. And the idea that Hedvig is able to accept himself, herself, you know, like, and just move on, like leave the wigs behind, leave the costumes behind, leave these people that, you know, she's been using the self-identify with she leaves them behind and can just like move on into you know into the night right and naked um you know like that finishing shot like you know and 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 just kind of put walking past like themselves out there right right like you know with that which i thought was operation you know i thought that was a brilliant ending you know i thought that was the perfect like visual metaphor for the you know self-acceptance and like finally being able to you know be a a functioning like not just somebody who lives in a trailer and kind of hides behind a persona um so yeah so i i really enjoyed that part of it um and i found that while i really disliked um cameron mitchell's performance in the beginning of this movie i really enjoyed it like as the movie went on so i don't know I don't know what it is about the first part of that movie because I really went into it. Like I've heard some of that music before because you played it, obviously, like you said, drunkenly after work. And some of that stuff, I think, like I've always thought was brilliant. Like I especially that Wig in a Box song, I think, mm-hmm. is like absolutely fantastic. Um, yeah. I I think it's maybe like, I think it moves past a sort of weird, like, late 60s psychedelic influence in the music and then moves into that like 70s glam slash punk influence mm-hmm. and maybe that's the turning point for me is like when it mm-hmm. moves into that style of music yeah because it reminds me a lot of um velvet underground and bowie and like obviously like that's the you sure. know the rolling like 70s rolling stones and that's kind of like the i think the rep like the homage that um mitchell's paying absolutely to those bands you know especially like he's listening to take a walk on the wild side like with his head in the oven and mm-hmm. there's little 
thematic like um like melodies and themes like within the songs that kind of call back to like up to the point where it's kind of like the glam rock Bowie slash maybe Billy Idol-esque like music towards the mm-hmm. end of the movie. Yeah. Um, right. The um the last song is Midnight Radio, which I think is definitely Bowie inspired, probably. Yeah. Um but that's when he's at like his full androgyny too. Like, you know, in terms of like the kind of almost the, the basically becoming Tommy Gnosis, like, you know, and, and taking off the wig and all that kind of stuff. Right. So um yeah, it's going to the to the point about the beginning of that movie, I think it see if this pulls together the two halves for you, the part that you dislike and the part that you like. Um, and I'll get to the music here in a second in terms of like what you're referencing, but this is a self-crafted narrative with a biased narrator throughout the entire thing that is framing himself in a very specific reading to an, to the audience. Yeah. And I think that what happens is that, um, you're getting the pieces that he wants you to get because he can riff off of them because he's trying to kind of make jokes out of things to hide the truth and the pain of all of it. Sure. And when he gets to the stuff with Tommy Gnosis, that stuff actually is so fresh that you get, you know, it's like the idea of like, you listen to someone talk long enough. If you just let them keep talking, you'll find out who they are like deep down and i feel it's yeah. like something similar here where it's like it's all very kind of fashioned it's all he, he's trying to sell in the beginning and create a certain image of himself and it's all gimmick it's just a gimmick really and the longer you get into listening to him talk and tell a story you figure out what's important to him which is really all the stuff that's going on in the present and in the recent past in terms of tommy um and you get to find out who that real person is at that point and then you actually get outside of the narrative that he's telling and you actually get stuff in the present more with them kind of like following Tommy around. You start getting to see, like you said, who Hedvig really is and what he's become, what, you know, um, you know, throughout like, you know, this journey, which is not a good person. It's a really pretty shitty person because we haven't even talked about like the idea of um, her husband, um, uh, Yitzhak, um, like the the bearded um right. guitarist um who was croatian like a croatian jew um and uh is doing drag um but once Maybe? yeah that's that's the idea of it is um that it, that it's drag but they 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 play with the gender stuff even more by casting like a female it's 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 strange um like like what, what they're 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 doing a lot of gender bending with like who they cast and all that kind of stuff but um but desperately wants to be and actually is more seems to be more talented than Hedvig. he's a better singer at least right um and desperately wants to, um, you know, be taken more seriously. But Hedvig is actually holding like the passport over um, his head, like, and is doing really shitty stuff to all those people. Um, and you start seeing like how bitter Hedvig actually is throughout all this. Right. And um, so I, I, I don't know if that helps, but I think what it is is that it's there to try to like portray Hedvig in a certain way before you realize that this is a much more complicated and kind of nasty character um, than what's been presented so far. Everything else is just the surface level um, you know, explanation of who this person is until you get further in. Um, and that doesn't address your, uh, you know, yeah, that's I how mean, I... Not all that. Yeah, I just don't like it. Like, yeah. I just don't think it's, again, like, the stuff with the attack later, mm-hmm. especially, so there's a scene right before the Angry Inch song where um, they're in the hotel room, mm-hmm. and Yitzhak is, like, kind of admiring the wig and mm-hmm. sort of almost putting it on his head. 
and Hedvig comes in and he's got to kind of scramble to get away from it. So it's like this idea that this person is, you know, I guess you could say in love or you could say obsessed with this other person. Because it's like, it's both really. Like, mm-hmm. you know, Yitzhak is obsessed with Hedvig. And like, I thought, like, I, that's like why everything you said, like, I think starts to really, like, you really start to see it there. I just felt that, I mean, I think that your interpretation, like, I'm fine with it and I think it's good. I just don't like it. Like, I don't like that part of the movie. I think it's really, I wouldn't say poorly done. It's just not in my taste. Right. Like, it just feels cheap to me. And let me tell you something, buddy. Like, that history of love song is one of the worst things I've ever heard in my life. (laughs) I despise that song so much. And it feels like it goes on for, like, 13 minutes. Do you hate the animation that goes along with it and stuff like that? Or, like, the way, or just the song itself? Like, that just, I mean, the animation just kind of reminds me of, like, again, like, it's a cheap homage to something you would have seen at the time. Like, I don't know. I mean, trying to think of when I was young, PBS used to show all this stuff where they would show, um, shit that was made in like the 60s and 70s where it was like popular songs at the time but there was like an animated thing behind them and it always looked like that garbage I and mean, it's just like this hipster not hip that's not even the right word it's like this almost like impressionistic interpretations of things with like colors swirling into each other and i think there's a there's a video my mom used to rent when i was a kid that had like Cave Paradise put up a parking lot and I got a brand new pair of roller skates, but it was like animated shit to it. And it was very similar in the way that it was animated. So just right. not my bag. But I just like number yeah, one. I, like, I, I think that song, song though is I, I think that song is extremely important to the story to some degree, though, because it represents the romantic notion that Hedvig has about this idea of a soulmate or finding that right. other person that other half which is not which is uh which is an illusion like or a, uh sure. you know and and something that she eventually has to figure out um you know that it's not about finding that other person to complete you um it's about learning to just accept yourself right and i'm like i think that that's I think it's it's pretty brilliant at the end where they do the animation again mm-hmm. and they have the two halves of the this like whatever the the two halves kind of whatever becoming one and then eating each other and devouring each other and ultimately it's them like learning to whatever like come together as a unit that makes them whole and then his tattoo on his hip is mm-hmm you know, whole again. I, I thought that was all really well done and clever. Like, I had no problem with that. Yeah, I just hate that song. Like, yeah, there's nothing fine. about yeah, that song sure. that I like. So yeah, I, I can see that. I, yeah, I don't, I don't, it's not one of my favorites on, on the soundtrack at all. Um, <clears throat> But it really, like, that's what really bothered me is having to listen to that shit. And mm-hmm. like, I wasn't invested at that point because, you know, to your point, like, Hedwig's not a not a very complete character until you start to really learn about the the things that happen to make him or her who, who she is. Yeah. Um. I just, I don't know. Like, it was, I, I'll, I'll be honest with you, and I'm glad that I forced myself to keep watching it. If I was watching this movie outside of the podcast environment, I would not have finished watching this movie. I would have gotten... 30 minutes in and be like, all right, that's enough for me. And then would have said forever that I hated it and it was awful. So I'm actually pretty happy now that I can say, you know, that I genuinely enjoy this movie and I would watch it again. Like I'd be interested in watching it with the perspective of knowing how it ends from the beginning and seeing like kind of what you just described in terms of, um, you know, like taking that narrative from the beginning and sort of like looking at it as a, like almost an unreliable narrator. Yeah. Or at least a biased narrator, as you said. Like, I think right. that's interesting. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I, I find think- it interesting mm-hmm. that it's um, Aristophanes, right? Is the what it's a riff on or something? Yes. 
Yeah. That was interesting to me. That that was like a mythological interpretation because I didn't know it. It's just, yeah. I, I don't know. It's, I, I, that's like, again, like that's the thing where I was sitting here watching it with Frankie and that came on and I was like, what the fuck am I watching? This shit is awful. And that's when I had to stop. But then I went back to it. So. <clears throat> yeah, no, I'm glad. And I also didn't. think, I mean, I understand your point too, but like about how he treats people poorly, but I think you only really see that in the Yitzhak character. And there's a lot about well, there's stuff eventually character. with the manager character as well. Um kind of where, it's like one scene where she's kind of shitty to her. Yeah. I mean, it's like, I don't I don't know how to explain how I feel about that. Like, maybe I feel like you look at this time period too when this movie was made. So mm-hmm. being created in the late 90s into the early 2000s. And I think one of the worst things about that time period is the bitchy gay as a character, mm-hmm. like where you couldn't just have a character that was like a nuanced person that just happened to be gay. Mm-hmm. Like what were you? Oh, you haven't watched it yet, so I can't make that analogy. I'll just say this without spoiling anything. There's... We talked when we were talking about um, the Marvel movies, and we've talked about this before, where it's like, when you have a female character in a movie, to me, that character being female should just be an aspect of the total of their character and not the framing piece of the narrative, right? Does that make sense? And like, I feel like this character, especially early on, it's like, the sexuality of the character is the totality of the character. Right. And I don't feel like that's true after the second half of the movie. That's when, to me, it becomes really interesting is when it's less about, I don't know, maybe shocking me as a viewer, which doesn't shock me. I just find it kind of boring. I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. Like, I've definitely seen gay people in movies for you know most of my life at this point in the sense that like I haven't ever shied away from watching a movie because it involves yeah homosexual characters. <laughs> well to your that point doesn't... like Brandy and I Brandy watched I didn't watch it I just saw scenes here and there that Uncle Frank movie on Prime that they've been advertising with um yeah. and um one of the things that was she said it was just a very simple 90 minute story about a guy in the 70s coming out to his family um and there wasn't any kind of trauma there like necessarily it's like there there was some trauma like you know with the character but it wasn't the focus of the movie um so and like that how, how do I, i'm trying to tie this together here but it's like i need to make a connection here it's like the the trauma wasn't the focus. Like, yes, it's a story about a guy coming out to his family, but it's like usually a lot of times with homose- homosexual characters, it's like, you know, there's this like trauma in the past. There's, there's rape, there's molestation, there's, you know, something along these lines that like, you know, um, however somebody wants to kind of explain away the gayness of that character. And it's like, there's no, it's like, it's talked about, it's addressed, it's moved on, the person moves on with their life. They're not defined by the trauma of that character and it's like i get your point like in the sense of like people can be defined by their demographics you know a lot of times in movies um don't you think again that might be hedvig like the character potentially yeah maybe but i don't think that that's true for the entire movie it's not that's what i'm saying but early on that's what that's when you see it is like that being defined by their sexuality slash gender and then that slowly that goes away like is that is that the movie or is that Hedvig you know I mean as a character I mean it's it's both I understand that it it is but it's just the way that it's presented is not right 
again, it's just not super interesting to me early sure. on. In- yeah, I got you. Yeah. Um, yeah, at some point I'd be interested to have this conversation privately, probably like, you know, someday, like years from now, if you watch it again, like, um, <clears throat> but yeah, it's an interesting conundrum because I, I do get what you're saying. And I think I felt that way. <clears throat> the first time or two I watched it myself and I think I just came to like kind of you know just take it you know um for what it was um as a part of it <laughs> I know also, I read... oh, go ahead. I'm, I'm gonna be honest if I if I liked the music more early on it wouldn't mm-hmm. be as big of a problem for me gotcha yeah because when that's the focus of your movie that you're making a musical like I feel like Every song needs this is my problem with something like Rent, where I think that Rent has two or three good songs, maybe. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just really boring other than that. Mm-hmm. And it's like I kind of feel like the I don't know, I feel like you lose I feel like you lose some of the effect of making something a musical by including music that's just not that great. Like yeah. you watch, um, I'm trying to think of something that I, it's classical musical. Like Jesus Christ Superstar is a good example. Like that's one of my favorite musicals ever. And one of the reasons for it is because it's not like it's a story that you don't know because, you know, it's maybe one of the most well-known stories like in history. It's the fact that the music propels the telling of that story that makes it compelling. And if the music, if you're watching something that's a musical and the music isn't compelling, then what's the fucking point? You know, like I can get the same story somewhere else. I guess. Yeah. See, I think the music in this is the best incorporation of character that I might have ever seen in a musical before. Like the music itself tells the story, and you just need a couple sentences like you know of exposition and it's like you have the whole story in the songs and i've never seen something tell almost the complete story just through the music with only like a couple sentences to connect the songs possibly of some exposition um down to the point that there's word choice in those songs at times that is still revealing psychological stuff about the character of hedvig in terms of word choice inside the music itself. And it's like, I think that Trask and Mitchell have like crafted these songs to tell us a psychological, to create a psychological character inside of the songs themselves. This is regardless of whether music or the songs are good or not. That's what I find fascinating about it. And I think half the songs are really good. About yeah, I mean, like I said, there's the stuff at the end. Um... I'm good with especially Wicked, Wicked Little Town is I, I think is incredible too. Um, the one that she kind of writes with Tommy in mind, like that she plays with the Korean. Um, oh band. yeah, that one's that that one's fun. Yeah. <clears throat> um, I'll give you an example of something that I know that you really enjoy that I think is just as effective as telling a narrative through the use of music, which is um the fucking Buffy the Vampire Slayer music. Right. No, I think I, I think you're I, I think you're correct. Like, but the, that's the kind of musicals that I like. I mean, right. we've talked about this during the '60s musical episode. How I don't like a lot of those necessarily because I feel like they're just kind of songs that are like thematic or shoehorned in when they don't need to be there. Right. Where like I like this is like I think why I have such affection in part why I have such affection for this is because this is one of the first ones I saw that dovetailed story character and music to actually propel a story and not only propel it but to match with it to run parallel along with it this is one of the first ones i saw that is exactly what i like out of musicals the most and i think yeah buffy's another great example of something that does that um that buffy episode so there's a lot of stuff watching the musicals of the 60s it's kind of a bad time period to look at if you're like really interested in learning about musicals i think because they are a lot of let's fit a scene to a song type thing Mm -hmm. but you look at something like um 
like Gilbert and Sullivan, right? Like, because we were, we did Topsy Turvy on an episode last year. Mm -hmm. And it's like all of Gilbert and Sullivan's songs are very specifically about character and scene Mm -hmm. and advancement of a narrative. And I guess that, I mean, I'm not a huge, whatever, like, music, like, historian on musicals. Like, it's not my, you know, not my forte necessarily, but I've yeah, seen I, I don't, I don't, I don't know anything about Gilbert and Sullivan. I'll be honest, like it's that and who's the other like writing pair? Rogers and Hammerstein. Right? Yeah, I don't, I, um, I don't know anything about those. Like guys. if you listen to like the Pirates of Penzance or, um, you know, the Mikado or whatever, like every one of those songs is very much about what's happening exactly at that moment on the stage, down to hidden motivations and secrets about the characters and there's like um what's it called like fifth business or whatever that happens inside those songs like to the audience where it makes you more knowledgeable about what's happening than the characters on screen like people will sing asides and stuff and i guess that sometime during the maybe because of the success of people like um fred astaire and uh you know stuff like Holiday Inn and White Christmas and whatever. It was more about like crafting a radio friendly song that could be played on the radio, but also you could have as the centerpiece to a like a musical like that, mm-hmm. where the songs aren't necessarily about <laughs> what's happening. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah. Like you watch the sound of music, the sound of music is a combination of those two things where there's songs that are very specifically about what's happening in the movie, but also songs that are more, you know, my favorite things or whatever, kind of. Right. But then, like, I think in the 70s, I guess it's in the, the late 60s, early 70s, with, um, like, Andrew Lloyd Webber specifically, I think he's probably, like, the biggest example of that. Like, you get more back into that mindset of the song is the narrative basically like we're telling character motivation and feeling through the music as opposed to just yeah setting a scene to music i get you yeah i mean and <clears throat> yeah that's fine i i'm not i'm not trying to say that hedvig doesn't do a good job of it i'm just saying that I'm saying like, that I, I think it even point. goes a step further because what I'm trying to say is like it goes a step further to me is that because Hedvig, the character, is the one that is writing, and I'm putting that in air quotes, writing these, right. there's even another layer of complexity and complication of Mitchell writing these songs Oh right! Yeah, as the character of Hedvig, that you can analyze the songs themselves to learn about and determine hidden facets of character. Right, and I don't think you need to put it in air quotes because it's the man performing the songs is the man that wrote the songs. It's obviously right. Yeah, like personal experience for him in terms of the stuff that he's writing. Um, I don't know. Again, maybe it's just not my taste. You know, like. And, I, and again, there are certain I, songs I don't like necessarily. I don't like musically. I'm not a big fan of the songs. It's not like I would listen to them. Like Origin of Love is not a song that I'm going to like play when we come back from the bar one night. You know, like because it's not one of my favorites. You know, it's 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 wig in a it's wig in a box. It's midnight radio. Maybe Wicked Little Town. Um, I think I play Sugar Daddy. Sugar Daddy doesn't make me laugh. Um, um. I don't know why, but it's a, it's a, to me it's a fun song. Um, and there's one more. What's the other one that like I've probably played? Oh, I, I think I played Angry Inch before, probably. Let me ask you this question. Yeah. So, the American GI that eventually gets Hansel to change into Hedwig uh-huh. um, and move to Junction City, Kansas, or whatever. <laughs> right. It's played by a black man. Yes. There's a scene early on when they meet each other where Mitchell zooms in tight on this man's mouth as he smiles mm-hmm. and shows his rows of teeth and his gums. Mm-hmm. And it's like a really tight close-up on the mouth. Right. And it's the same exact shot almost that Aronofsky used 
the year before in hmm. um, uh, Requiem for a Dream <clears throat> to kind of just display the grotesqueness of this man at his like naked like lust and uh-huh, uh-huh. power over this person. Uh-huh. And I was wondering, do you think that's on purpose? Like as soon as I saw it, I was like, holy shit, like this is this isn't even me just like making a connection because it's two like black men on film. Like this is the exact same shot of this man's mouth doing the exact same thing. Right. Which, like, I didn't I didn't think about that, but um grinning in lust. And I was wondering like if Mitchell was either inspired by or found some sort of like really right strong yeah, I... emotional whatever reaction to that mm-hmm. shot that it made him think like <clears throat> because obviously that's what um the GI is doing you know sure is like sure just basically like using his the, the power that he has as an American and you know in this country to kind of like take what he wants and what he wants is well you know, I, I to correct me if i'm wrong because it's not a scene that i i end up focusing on this scene on hedvig i think more like in the trailer more than i do the foreground of luther walking away with his new guy that's like carrying a suitcase for him but is obviously his new boy toy right isn't he um isn't he hispanic like young the, and Hispanic, the, the 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 boy, the new boy toy. Oh, I don't know. I wasn't paying. I, I it is. It almost feels like he's a guy who the. Yeah, he gets off on the power and the newness of things, right. um, and likes youth, likes disadvantaged statuses, you know, and those kind of things, and kind of just like kind of moves on from one thing to the next. Um I mean I just like yeah I just took but, yeah I didn't being... think about that requiem thing and that's that's pretty I mean yeah that's because that's I automatically good. assume that the whole gummy bears and the candy thing mm-hmm. was a metaphor for no, drugs. Yeah. And that that's what Hedvig is trying to kind of like sort of like soften like the rougher corners of like his younger years in terms of like being whatever lured by the promise of freedom and drugs or whatever uh maybe or um, just like i think i think it's so I I, I I think it's just metaphors for sex <laughs> um I with the candy. I, I've got a sweet tooth for licorice drops and jelly roll. Hey, sugar daddy, Hansel needs some sugar in his bowl. Um, I'll lay out fine china on the linen and polish up the chrome. Um, well, that if, obviously. If you've got some sugar for me, sugar daddy, bring it home. Blackstrap molasses, you're my orange blossom honey bear. Bring me Versace blue jeans, black designer underwear. We'll dress up like the disco dancing jet set in Milan and Rome. If you got some sugar, you know, come on, bring it home. Um, oh, the thrill of control, like the Russia rock and roll is the sweetest taste I've ever known. When honeybees go shopping, it's something to be seen. They swarm to wildflowers to get the nectar uh, for the queen. Um, <clears throat> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm going through here to see if there's anything I see is whiskey and french cigarettes a motorbike and speed jet yeah this is more about a water pick cuisinart and a hypoallergenic dog <laughs> that's so that's so funny uh, water pick uh, it's describing luxuries that a water pick makes it in there um yeah i i don't know no i maybe maybe i mean i i i could see it but um I don't know. I just looking through the lyrics there. I don't um I don't know if I like take it necessarily as drugs like right away. Because like Hedvig is an addict later on too, especially with um alcohol. Or at least an abuser. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. No, alcohol definitely is a um what gin gin and tonics, right? Gin is oh, gin, but then drinking vodka straight out of a bottle and Jack Daniels straight out of a bottle. Oh yeah, true. Yeah, but by the end, yeah, with there's a lot of that rock and roll excess. Right. Um yeah. Right. Um, right. That's exquisite corpse, right? Yeah. Um, um, yeah. So, 
that it's it's really weird. I've I've read some criticism of this from roughly around the time like this came out as a musical and um and I don't mean as a, as a film here. I just mean like uh, thematically. Um, I did want to kind of run it by you since we're gonna since we're talking about this movie. Is that I have seen criticisms from the left that this movie is actually harmful to trans people by making by Hedvig taking off the wig and the clothing makes it seem like it's drag as opposed to being trans um and it's criticized for that reason and criticized in part also because john cameron mitchell is gay but he is not he's not a trans person and like that this is kind of like ends up being harmful in some ways for representation reasons because it makes it seem like trans is drag I see that. I mean, I, again, like, I think that's part of my annoyance with the beginning of this movie is that, like I said, it's like, that's kind of what I was trying to get at when I said the thing about, um, whatever, like, being a woman doesn't have to be, like, the central part of your character. Like, in this, it's like, here's the archetypical bitchy gay in drag at the beginning of this movie, Mm -hmm. which I find to be kind of, um, like a very outmoded stereotype at this point, kind of. And I know that like drag is its own thing and being trans is its own thing. But yeah, to that point, like I kind of feels like it's just and you know what? Like this is 20 years ago, right? Right. So sure. it's I think it's really difficult to look at yeah. a movie that's as daring as this movie is. I mean, this is a wide release film that came out when people still weren't 100% comfortable talking about this kind of stuff. Right. And does it maybe miss the mark in some ways? Like, sure. But it also was doing something that really nothing else... No, yeah, nobody else was doing, right? I mean, what do you have prior to this? You have, like... Well, if you're just looking at drag, you have, what, Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, right? Yeah, Tu Wong um, Fu. Tu Wong Fu, you know, which, um, which Tu Wong Fu only gets made because of the star power behind it, Right. Right. Um, Priscilla gets critical acclaim, like after it gets made. But I don't know how Priscilla got made. Honestly, was that Miramax? Do you remember? It seems like uh, it was. Maybe Miramax or New Line. I can't remember. Yeah, it was. But Miramax well, if it was New Line. It would have been Fine Line. Yeah, it was probably Miramax. So it's probably Miramax who's taking bets on everything at that point. You know, I mean, in terms of indie stuff. Um. But yeah, I mean, this is, it's major that like something like this gets made. And I, I, I understand where that's coming from. Um, but I think the gender identity, one, I think the gender identity issues in this are, and, and I'm not an expert in those things, obviously, but it's like, I are very complex. This isn't like, this isn't a situation with Hedvig where it's one thing or the other. It's it's like it's kind of a mixture, and it's like honestly, even though I'm, I'm tired of talking about Origin of Love, Origin of Love kind of sets some of that stuff up too, right? Um, and I think it's complex, and I also think that yeah, looking at it 20 years later, I think you have to forgive some of it. I mean, it's hard for us to say because obviously we're not we're not affected by right. I mean, in right. A, yeah, right. It, it is, but it also like you look at how. I mean, look at how trans people had been portrayed at that point. Like, I guess you would consider the crying game, that person's trans, right? Right. Yes. But even back then, like, we weren't even thinking of stuff in terms of gender identification and whatever. Sure. Like, you would call those people transvestites or whatever. Right. Right. You wouldn't even view them as, like, I don't know. Sure. And ultimately, the end result is that it's about accepting yourself. So I think that the message... Right. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah, I I think that kind of goes towards kind of... I think that's, yeah, that's another one of the points to discuss in terms of that criticism. Um, Yeah, I mean, I I don't... 
overall, I, I love this for a number of different reasons, um, but I was more interested in how you would react to it, having never seen it. Um, I'm glad that you kept with it. I'm glad that you ultimately end up like liking most of it. Um, but um, yeah, I don't have much more to say myself. Yeah, I mean, I think ultimately it's an effective movie. I think that yeah. as long as you don't have certain prejudices yourself, I don't think that it's difficult to watch or hard to get through and I don't know. I think that if you can stick with it like throughout the whole movie, I think it's ultimately like pretty rewarding. So Yeah. I do too. Yeah. Um yeah, especially that like last like ten minutes or so with, you know, the stage performance with him out of drag, you know, out of, you know, Hedvig's clothing and with Ishak and, you know, all those kind right. of things. Like, yeah, I I think it's very moving, um, even to some degree with like the transference there that happens. But <clears throat> all right. Well, um, just so everybody knows, um, we will be coming back uh, this coming weekend with our first episode of 2021 which is going to be the top five animated films of the 1980s. Um, then we'll be back a week after that with the top five movies of Luis Buñuel. And then um, we'll be finishing up the month with uh, 19, the best horror movies of 1990, which will start a 10 month um, exploration of each year of um, 90s horror. So uh, that's what we have coming up next month. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. Um, and other than that, I hope everybody had a, um, you know, happy holidays and continues to have a happy holidays as we move towards New Year's. And um, thanks for listening. Yep. Have a good night.